0: Well, thank you to the archive.org website. Some precious internet history has been preserved. It's peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter
1: jelly time, peanut butter jelly time, baby.
0: Yeah, this precious internet gem, amongst many others, is now being preserved. These Flash uh, games and movies and videos and and comics are being preserved on archive.org. But there's a, a special twist for fans of this show, Wes. Oh, yes, it's all powered by Rust. Rust, you say? (laughs) Well,
2: yeah. I mean, of course. How else would you accomplish this magic? You can watch all this. You don't need to have a Flash plugin installed because it's powered by WebAssembly and Rust
0: with the uh, Ruffle project. The only way to make Flash acceptable is create an engine in Rust that plays it using WebAssembly. (laughs) I I think this is a Linux Unplugged approved methodology to watch your Flash videos and to play your Flash video games and whatnot. Flash, it's finally hip again. Hello, friends, and welcome into your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello there, Wes. This episode is brought to you by a cloud guru, the leader in hands-on learning. The only way to learn a new skill is by doing. That's why ACG provides hands-on labs, cloud Linux servers, and much more. Get your hands cloudy at acloudguru.com. This is Linux Unplugged episode 381, which is getting really close to one of my favorites. I've had the privilege of a couple of shows reaching 386, and uh, <laughs> that and 486 are my two favorite episode numbers <laughs> because <laughs> I'm a nerd. Really good reminder of just how much time you spent here. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, it's nice to actually to be looking back at 380, uh, 381, and feeling like, man, I feel like we still got we still got a lot more episodes in us. We're like not even not even close to feeling like we're near done with the show. We got still a lot to get into. We have a lot of episode to get into. This is going to be a really fun one uh, because we have a Open source tool that's going to help you be a secret spy using, um, well, retro technology. A new open source tool that will make you feel very retro. That's a good tease. But uh, we also have a bunch of community news and some feedback. Uh, Pick too that I think is going to make your desktop look even better and your terminal look super sharp. Oh, you're thinking of us. I am. I'm always thinking of you guys. Well, and and uh, well, constantly just dogged by what the hell I'm going to talk about next on the show, like it's some sort of demon that constantly stalks me every single day. And, every, uh, Anyways, um, where were we? Oh, yeah, right. The mo- Time-appropriate greetings, Virtual Lug. Hello. 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 Thanks. Thanks. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Look at that, 25 in the Virtual Lug today, a few in the uh, quiet listening, a whole bunch on air, and it's really awesome to see some new faces, old faces, and uh, in between. Of course, we're also streaming at jblive.tv on a Tuesday. We do it at noon Pacific, and every now and then, like the last couple of episodes, we tweak it up a bit, but we try to keep the calendar best up to date as we can at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And let's start with a fun fact of life. Uh, like it or not, and maybe you do like it, Chrome OS just isn't going away. So the question the show has is, could we have some fun? And there's a couple of projects out there that would suggest yes, including one that Aims to be a total Chrome OS alternative, maybe for those older Chromebooks. And it's from a a developer we've heard of before, Wes. Yeah,
2: from the creator of Ubuntu Unity and Ubuntu Ed. Here comes yet another unofficial Ubuntu flavor, Ubuntu Web Remix, which aims to be an alternative
0: to Chrome OS or Chromium OS. I will admit to still watching Ubuntu Unity uh with a with a bit of a curiosity, wondering what could happen there. As time goes on, it almost feels like it'd be fun to spend a week in Unity. I think it would genuinely feel old at this point. I have some fond memories, though. Yeah, it still feels like it'd be kind of fun. Uh, And I don't know if any of these will ever become official Ubuntu flavors, but they're cool to see out there because you do wonder, like, can you have a project that is Ubuntu-adjacent, so it brings a lot of compatibility with it, that could be utilized to bring new life into old Chromebooks? So this this. Remix right now is based off of a version of Gnome 3.36. It comes with an app pre-installed so you can run Android apps. Uh, it has DTube video sharing on there. It has the Mastodon web app and Twitter web apps pre-installed. Though Their focus here is really uh, de-Googled web apps. I think that's a big focus of that project. Or at least they're, they're focusing on those tools. Right.
2: I mean, it uses primarily uh, Firefox instead of Chrome because otherwise how is it an alternative to a Chromebook? You should note, though, that if you plan to install the Android apps, it's experimental right now and might not work properly, especially on the live session or in a virtual machine. It's all powered by Anbox under the hood, and you might have to do some fiddling with things like Secure Boot to get that all working nicely.
0: All right, so maybe he's all in on the the Chrome OS. So then, then maybe you want to bring it to other devices. Like maybe the Pine64, which could be legitimately useful. My, sk- my kids' schools, they exclusively use Chromebooks. And maybe it wouldn't be so bad for me to know how to use the Chromebook OS and interface. And the, my Pinebook, which I already own, could be a great way for maybe me to learn without having to make a big investment. I'm going to take a shot at this name. I'm going to say Feed OS? Well, I was going to say FIDE, but yeah, all right, Feed OS. No, 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 it's FIDE. I just thought because that's what I thought it was, it must not be right. Okay. Oh, sure we're both getting it wrong. That's how yeah. it usually goes. Uh, so it's FeedOS, OS, which is a fork of Chromium OS, uh, the open source version of Chrome OS. This version is based for Chromium x86, so it supports a lot of x86 machines, but they're also making a version for the Pine 64.
2: Yeah, it is also available if you don't want it on the Pine Pinebook, you know. that's well, pretty flexible. It's got custom builds for things like the Microsoft Surface tablets, uh, the Google Chromebook Pixel
0: 2013, and the GPD Pocket 2. Hey. Yeah. That's kind of particularly cool and caught caught my eye. Uh, but we do have a reporter live on the scene. ByteBitten, you're you're reporting live from uh, using feed or Fido and uh
1: you have some notes yes chris so here with my Pinebook pro i'm <laughs> 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 uh, so yeah i uh, i've been trying a FidoS uh, or uh, getting it to install my Pinebook pro but it is very picky with the micro sd cards you're using it needs to be uh, fast enough for it to boot and uh, i had some uh, what I thought were fast micro SD cards, but uh, they seem to be not fast enough. And it is really a uh, hit and miss on that part. And you need to try a lot of micro SD cards if you, if you don't find the right one.
0: Ah, did you nail down what it is that it's looking for in an SD card?
1: Not exactly. And also the developer said that uh, it is just demanding on the micro SD card. But as soon as you've got it installed on the uh, eMMC, then it is just a smooth sailing from there. Good to know. Thank you.
0: Um, why don't we transition to a little bit of what's coming down the pipeline as as projects are looking to 2021, we're getting an idea of what GNOME is going to focus on as a project. Pharonix has an article that also covers where they spent their money over 2020, if you're interested in that. It seems like a lot of it went to GTK4 development, uh, some technical infrastructure support for FlatHub and... Um, a few other things.
2: Well, yeah. Hey, remember that uh, legal case against Rothschild Patent Imaging that costs money? Plus some, you know, good stuff like conferences, Guadec, the Linux App Summit, GTK Hackfests. They also uh, got themselves a supported instance of the video chat software, Big Blue Button. Hey, I'm sure that's pretty handy. And some internships and just general community support. And all of that is great work.
0: Yeah, I bet they weren't expecting to need that video conferencing software quite as much. No. <laughs> uh, in 2021, they're going to focus on organizing Guadix some more, um, as well as the Gnome Summit and the Linux App Summit. They're going to host virtual social events, hackfests. But there's also going to be, of course, work on two more editions of Gnome. They're going to look to push forward smaller projects within the Gnome ecosystem with some of their funding, including Also hiring interns and paid internships for free software development. Awesome, Yeah. Provide financial and logistical support for people that are speaking at conferences, which for people who are new to speaking, but maybe you have somebody out there who can be a really good advocate for you. That's really nice to handle that stuff for them. Uh, But they're also going to, they note in here, launch a new initiative, including the Faces of GNOME, and increased uh, conference participation. But the Faces of GNOME, I think, is that's interesting. There is like a Faces of Open Source project out there, which I bet you this has inspired this. And uh, maybe pretty soon we're going to have a way to put more names to faces. I like
2: that. You know, oftentimes you just get to see a nick or a handle or an email and a git commit. But there's uh, real people spending real time on all this free software that we love.
0: Yeah, and I think it's good to also remind everybody that there's humans. (laughs) Humans. (laughs) Behind Gnome. Gnome gets so much um, opinion in the In this space, right? So many everybody has an opinion, and we kind of just speak of like this nebulous upstream gnome. Yeah, and everybody loves to share it, too, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they love to share that opinion. So uh, maybe reminding us all that there's human beings there isn't so bad. But looking into our future crystal ball vision, like we were earlier before, uh, I see something else coming down the pipeline, of course, and that is details for fedora 34. It looks like we're going to have a couple of new spins. I guess they call them in thirty in Fedora parlance. Uh, one is the i3 team is working on an official Fedora spin for Fedora 34. And it looks like in Fedora 34, we will see an official KDE plasma spin for 64-bit ARM devices. I'm looking at you, Pi 400. Isn't that nice? And then the big doozy that, of course, Wes and I care the most about uh, is Fedora 34 may try, this is still up in the air, but may try to use Pipewire by default to replace pulse audio, and I guess would it also replace Jack? I don't. This is where I'm still fuzzy. Or would it integrate with Jack? Yeah,
2: I mean that. That's just it. PipeWire would provide Fedora 34's Jack support. Ah, it would be a PipeWire future, at least based on the Fronix write-up. Right. Right. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I really love and support Pipewire. I'm super excited about the Pipewire future. But just the history of adopting new sound solutions makes me a little bit nervous. Even in a great environment like Fedora, Pipewire is pretty easy to install in Fedora right now. I don't know. If it's ready, it's ready. You know, I, I, Fedora can make that judgment. just makes me a little nervous.
0: Yeah, and it does maybe change our math a little bit on if we were gonna reload like we have a machine that's super critical to our workload. Um I'm talking to Wes on it right now and um recording and you know, all of it. And if if it were to go out, we would be so SOL and we'd have to rebuild that day. And so the question is, is would you would you rebuild with eighteen oh four or at this point, at the end of twenty twenty, would you go with something else? And seriously Fedora would be a consideration in this mix. Uh, but not if in the next release there, you know, this change is coming. I, and and I, I'm i all for it at the same time. I still want them to do it. It just means, you know, you'd use it in the appropriate use cases. You also got to figure, Wes, that maybe they'd make it an easy way to just switch back. Yeah,
2: that, that very well could be.
0: Yeah, that could be coming.
2: And it seems like, you know, just having played with it a bit, and I know our very own uh, Mr. Drew has been evaluating PipeWire fairly extensively, and progress is very impressive. So it very well could be t- totally ready for this at least in most use cases.
0: Yeah, and uh, kind of in the same uh, wheelhouse, Pulse Audio 14.0 has been just recently released. It comes with many changes, but uh, there is this flat volumes controversy that I guess most distros patched around, so I was oblivious to it. Can you explain this to me? (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's kind of always been a controversial feature
2: in Pulse Audio. Uh, With flat volumes, the stream volumes controls, controls also the sync volume, and so like... Maybe you've seen this feature where you adjust the volume in, like, your loudest application, and that ends up adjusting the whole system volume. So those become linked, and you don't have these two layers of volume controls like you might think that you have. And the biggest problem is that sometimes, after you've adjusted the the volume in one app to boost that up, the next app that plays suddenly plays and blows your ears out.
0: Okay. No wonder why the distros patch around that. (laughs) That's not good.
2: Right. And so that way, you know, because it can be confusing if you don't understand that there's the second system volume. Like if you are in an app and you go all the way to 100%, if the system volume is at 30%, like it's just not going to get that loud, right? So the intent was to fix situations like that, but I think it ended up causing more confusion. And clearly the folks actually downstream implementing Pulse at the user-facing level kind of think the same thing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and there's other nice improvements in there. And I guess one, one highlighted uh, area that's probably most relevant to the audience is USB headset support has been improved. Various vendors specifically seem to have gotten improvements as well. Yeah, isn't that
2: nice to see?
0: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you got to figure not only are people using it, obviously, to play games, but a lot of people are probably using those headsets to do virtual meetings and whatnot as well. <laughs> I know I sure am. i actually been thinking about it. With my big headset, just because I like the way it feels and all of that, but I, you know, I don't know. I feel silly with it on video. That's, that's my only. That's my only kind of uh, slow my roll thing on that one. But maybe I'll just get over it because, after all, it does look very cool. Linode.com/slash-unplugged. Go there to support the show and get a one 100- hundred. Wait, hold on. What? I got to check this. One hundred dollar sixty day credit. Who authorized this? That's too much. Wes, did you authorize $100 60-day credit for new accounts? I mean, it just sounds like such a good deal, right? I'm, who wouldn't want that? You moved the soundboard guy to the deals job, and now this is what we get. Well, I mean, they, there's no way they're going to keep this going. So you better go to linode.com slash unplugged. They're our cloud hosting provider. They've been around since 2003 as one of the first companies in cloud computing. And they started because they freaking love Linux. They saw where things were going in the kernel in regards to virtualization and said, hey, you know what? Hey, we could probably build a business around that. I can relate with that. I mean, that's how we saw with podcasting 13 years ago. We saw where the technology was going. You said, hey, you know what? I could go talk about Linux on that. And I, I can relate with that. Now they're still the largest independently owned cloud provider. They, they started with a love for Linux and now here, look at them. And they've got fantastic customer service. And if you don't know a lot about Linux or you've never really ran a server before... They got you covered. I just uh deployed an Azuracast server and Azuracast. You remember how we say that, Wes? Azuracast. Let's go with Azura Azuracast. Yeah, yeah, with the roll there. Uh, and I deployed it in like 10 seconds on Linode. And I'm thinking maybe in this in the future we're gonna have like this cool new upgraded live stream. And I've been on the fence if I was gonna do that forever, for like a year now. Uh but with Linode, and it was just like one click, I thought, well, why not? But then once it started deploying, I was like, oh, of course. Of course, this is how it works. Linode is awesome. So when you're deploying it, whenever they can, they'll give you multiple choices of distros. So it's a one-click application deployment, and you choose the base OS. So I chose Ubuntu 2004, which matches our other Linodes, and now it's up and running. On a dedicated machine, I decided to go dedicated CPU, since it's going to be doing multiple MP3 streaming codes. And I positioned it in Dallas, Texas, because I feel like for the for the majority of the audience that will be streaming it during the daytime, that's going to be U.S. audience, and so probably should centralize it as much as I can. And they've got 11 data centers all over the world, so you can pick which one's close to you or, in my case, close to the client or the audience. And they got native SSD storage that's blazing fast 40 gigabit network connections and a totally easy-to-use dashboard that makes all of this possible, but generally just, like, one click away to go deep if you know what you're doing, if you know what a mount point is. Like, you can go deeper. It's great. And that's what I love about it. Not like the entry-level service providers that try to block all that stuff off. Plus, they have object storage, Kubernetes support, Terraform support, Node balancers, built-in firewall. It's it's pretty feature-packed. And that $100 credit is going to get you really far with their base rig starting at $5 a month. So go to lenode.com slash unplugged. Go there, support the show, and get yourself a $100 credit. And go in there let them know you heard about it on the show. That helps, too. Maybe share it with your friend. I don't know. Maybe print it out and put it up. All over the town on the post saying, server missing. Go to linode.com slash unplugged if you see it. No, that's not my best idea. That's not my best idea. Maybe you should tweet me and let me know what you're doing with your Linodes. Tweet me at Chris Lass and let me know. Linode.com slash unplugged. Well, while we're talking about new stuff, let's mention kind of a nice win for LVFS Uh, And, of course, for any users that use LVFS to upgrade. um, More importantly. ASUS is now offering their first motherboard firmware, which looks like more to come now that the groundwork has been laid down. The lucky boarding question is the P11C-C-4L,
2: which is a workstation or server board. It's an EATX board for the Intel Xeon E platform. So maybe not one you've got on hand,
0: but you got to start somewhere. Actually, it would be a really solid workstation. And if I if I had built a workstation around that motherboard, I'd be feeling real good right now that I was getting firmware updates via LVFS. And you know that's just the beginning. There's gonna be more. And it's a nice little win for the project. Also, uh FWAPD, the, the front end that you see on your machine that communicates with that service, got a nice update. There's various things you can go read in the show notes if you want, but the one thing that I like to see in here is a plugin has been developed for the Pinebook Pro. Um, although, <laughs> uh, Husey in here notes that it needs further work <laughs> before it'll actually work correctly. But I like that it's there and that there's a it's possible. Yeah, right. I mean,
2: okay, you need a little help from the vendor to make sure you can figure out, like, which keyboard layout is installed, getting the touchpad version worked out correctly. But if you've got the bones, that's the best place to be to add on these, you know, little things to make it really work. You're talking about the doctor? I sure am. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see this thing hum right along, isn't it? If you think about it a couple years ago, none of this existed. And the idea that you wouldn't have to be booting into this like sketchy DOS boot disk or, God forbid, Windows to update right. your firmware, I just expected that and kind of never updated my firmware.
0: Now I'm just in GNOME software and I'm updating my firmware anytime I see one. Well, this next update is just one I wanted to mention. It came out over the weekend, and we've had mostly just cloudy skies here in the Pacific Northwest, which is nice, actually, because it acts as nature's blanket, and it keeps us warm. (laughs) So I, I don't mind the clouds at all in the evening. But every now and then, there's been a break, and just the most brilliant stars. And so I have kind of taken up an interest in like those night sky apps for the phone. Yeah. We kind of can pan the phone around and see what constellations and whatnots you're looking at. And KSTARs is among one of a handful of just really fantastic apps to do this for your Linux desktop. And version 3.50 came out this last weekend. And this release marks a significant milestone for KSTARs because they've done the integration of Stellar Solver, which, get ready for this is a cross-platform sex tractor. Just what you need, right? <laughs> I can relate. Let me tell you, Wes. Let me uh, let me tell you. Uh, it also integrates with astronomy.net's based internal astrometric solver, which this is getting serious, Wes. I'm hoping maybe you can explain some of this to me. Yeah, okay. So there's already some some tools
2: out there to do these things that you, that you might need to do if you're, you know, an amateur astronomer, you're trying to make sense of of the night sky and and plot things correctly, including um, astrometry.net. But that application is command line only and has some rather nasty dependencies depending on what system you're on or maybe you're just more focused on staring up at the sky and appreciating the beauty of the universe than you are about tracking down lib and <laughs> I can appreciate that. Sure. Um, so now with this integration with Stellar Solver, you don't have to fuss with any of that stuff. You just get KSTARs installed and you're good to go.
0: Yeah, that is really nice and simple because this is like one of those great little demos when... You know, your, your family member or a, or a kid even has questions or yourself, and you just want to just sit down and get the answer and kind of demonstrate some of the cool open-source software that's out there. And so, some real significant retooling went inside KSTARs to integrate this stuff, and uh, they feel like it's going to be a big benefit for their end users. They seem very excited about it. They put a lot of work into it, and it's just a cool piece of software. To remind you, you know, there's a big universe up there, Wes, and it's open-source. There's also uh, an Android version. Yeah, there's an Android version, which I'm actually just gonna have to give
2: that a try because I've I've got a couple apps for trying to identify hey just what star is that or or planet
0: up there, but all of them are free Android apps and therefore terrible. But you still haven't explained to me what a sex tractor is. Maybe when you're older. And also, I'm not even sure I know what uh, an astronomic plane is. Like, there's I, this is I read through this uh, project announcement and realized. Man, there's just a lot I don't know. Like, I, So apparently you need an astronomic plate solver. And I, I didn't even know astronomic plates were a problem.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to when you're trying to match up what are you looking at and match it to existing things in like star catalogs, say. So here I am in the universe. Here's what I'm looking at. How do I find out actually where that is on the larger picture of the night sky and what I can catalog and know as a reference is there?
0: All right, well, let's clean it up around here a little bit and do some housekeeping. Shout out to the Luplug, who had sounds like a very productive Jellyfin Bugathon this last Sunday. They found some bugs and proved some documentation and increased distro compatibility. So, like, wow, congratulations, you guys. That sounds like it was a big success. And uh, I want to extend an invitation to anyone else in the open source community who would like to participate in our bugathons we have a dedicated matrix channel and you can join that matrix channel on our jupiterbroadcasting.com matrix server and uh, put your you know raise your hand in there and um, they'll jump on it and they'll help organize it and then we'll promote it on the show here so we get some people to show up and help get a lot of eyes on it the idea behind this is to help developers in a way that is within their bandwidth you know like we don't want to just organize hundreds of people on the show to just throw a bunch of bug reports at a project and inundate them with a bunch of technical debt that they can never address and burn them out. <laughs> like We want to work with developers on, on their terms. So they've, they've set aside time, they're, they're ready to work in an, in an interactive high bandwidth environment where they can communicate in real time and they're there to address the issues that come up and answer the questions and there's a set time window and when it's done they go back to their life and, they, and this I think was a great example of pulling that off. Uh, because the developers there, several of them were there at the same time with our community. We had a lot of community participation, and uh, you know, big results. I think came from it. So good work, guys. Good work. Way more productive than we were. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I think this is this could go. Uh, this could even be a situation where if multiple developers participate in the bugathon and they join that matrix room, well, some of them are sticking around afterwards, and so all of a sudden you may have a resource where. Projects that aren't necessarily related all of a sudden have a common chat room that they're talking in and solving problems, and have a community they can call upon when they need some eyeballs. It could go somewhere, and it could all be on their terms, which I think is the beautiful thing about it. So keep your ears peeled, whatever the saying goes. Keep your ears at the ready that don't know, um, your balls ready for future announcements on bugathons. And if you're interested, do contact our Luplug. Things are in the works too, so be sure you're subscribed to the Jupiter Broadcasting All Shows feed. If you haven't already. And if you're looking to sponsor on this here podcast in 2021, give me an email. You know, whatever. I'll take it. I mean, if you're going to give me money, you can send me an email. It's fine. Chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You go there and maybe you'd be a good fit for our audience. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Could be a good year with you and me together. And that is the housekeeping. <whistles> All right, so I'm going to share a URL in the chat room. Is there an easy way for them to do this live really quick? Because what we want to talk about today is Waveshare. And uh, I'm I'm going to put you on the spot, Wes. Can you explain kind of what Waveshare is and why it's the coolest retro new thing? (laughs) Well, it's retro because of the
2: way it sounds. We'll have a sample of that in a moment, I guess. But Waveshare is a a neat project we found over on GitHub. It's peer-to-peer file sharing using WebRTC,
0: but with signaling performed through sound. This is really great. So think about this as a way to transmit information. I'm going to play an example of it in the show right now. And if you have Waveshare set up and you play this portion of the show back, you will receive data from it. It will decode data for you. Here's an example. This is the slow mode. little unpleasant on the ears, but it is magic to my old man ears in the sense that it completely reminds me of a modem. Yeah, it sure does. And it's kind of just a neat technology in general.
2: Now, WaveShare, the project itself, is even more impressive because it basically lets you set up a WebRTC connection with no server side involved at all, just peer-to-peer. And it's powered by this underlying technology that can encode data in these audio tones.
0: Yeah. It's like a modulator demodulator. Yeah,
2: the current approach uses a multi-frequency frequency frequency shift keying modulation scheme. The data to be transmitted is first split into four-bit chunks, and then at each time slice, three bytes are transmitted using six tones, one tone for each four-bit chunk. And you can kind of hear that as it alternates between the tones in the sample.
0: Yeah, and we'll have a link in the show notes that has a web-embedded version of this that you could play with, uh, but it also has a really pretty straightforward command line interface too.
2: Yeah, so the web the web version's like a little more involved because it's, it, it lets you set up a connection that once you, if you've got your own network going, it uses sound to establish the connection. So you've got two laptops, you've got their microphones on, you've got their speakers ready. You can just connect them via sound and the local network and then swap files back and forth. But underneath that is this little technology to actually just encode and decode from these fun audio samples. And WaveShare's got a nice little command line client, super easy to get going. You just clone the repo. They've got build instructions right in the readme, which, of course, we'll have linked in the show notes. And then it just prompts you, uh, you can enter text to encode it. Or if you just leave it open, it
0: starts listening on your microphone. You play back the podcast, and you'll get Chris's little secret link. Yeah, there is a secret message that we have embedded. So I played for you the slow version. There is also a fast version that, um, well, is faster and <laughs> not not like a ton, but I'll, I'll play it so you can hear the difference here. And uh, you could also capture this and then get the secret message. <laughs> Isn't that cute? <laughs> LinuxUnplugged.com. LinuxUnplugged.com. I should have embedded like that in there or something. (laughs) Uh, Become an Unplugged Core contributor. Become an... um Oh, hey. Oh, I completely forgot to mention this, but I'm doing a Black Friday sale for the Unplugged Core contributors. Random plug. If uh, you want to... If you wanted to become one, I'm taking uh, two bucks off UnpluggedCore.com. You know, keep the show independent, help reduce the ad load needed, and get one of two feeds, limited ad feed or full live stream, no cuts, no edits... All the nitty gritties. You get to hear how Chris tries to pronounce it, the really embarrassing. Yeah, time. That's probably true. You know, if it turns out several people, at least, <laughs> you know, people tell me, are listening to the uh, totally unedited feed because when we recorded early, we started getting feedback into the show before we'd even posted the episode. This is like, that was weird. But that's totally a thing. Like, if you get, if you sign up and become a core contributor, you can get the live feed and we try to post that as soon as possible after we record. So if we record on a Sunday, it means you're going to get the show on a Sunday. I don't know if that works better for you, but that when that comes up, which may come up from time to time, that's a nice perk of getting that feed. And right now, if you use the promo code BLACKFRIDAY, all one word, you use that coupon code BLACKFRIDAY, it'll take uh, 2 bucks off. And I'm not going to do that very often, so take advantage of that. And uh, you can just go I, – I mean, I don't know. I haven't done it, but you can just go to unpluggedcore.com, and when you're checking out, put that Black Friday coupon code in there. Anyways, that was totally random and unplanned. Back to WaveShare. It's a, it's fun in a, like a spy sense, Wes. Like it 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 makes me fantasize about sending secret messages at the end of every episode of the podcast. Like we could we could fire off a little tone, and it would give the audience like an extra little bonus link that if they wanted to run through a thing, it could give them a special thing. Like it's all these fun ways to actually use it. But I don't know how practical it is. Have you given thoughts to how you could practically use this?
2: Yeah, I don't know that we need it um, especially often in our current day-to-day world, but I think it's an interesting proof of concept. It's a it's a neat hack with some existing technology. And it's kind of convenient that you, you know, this can all live on a totally serverless, just, just a static web page. So, you know, if you wanted to be able to quickly share files with devices, you could have this going on your local network. There's instructions in the GitHub for, you know, how to, if you want to get this all built and host it yourself, totally possible. And then it's all powered by... WebRTC, which is just really neat because it turns your browser into this powerful communications agent. So not only are we using that, right, to actually send audio data back and forth right now, um, but here on the browser, you can use it for just sending regular data, transmitting files, whatever you need, and you don't have to worry about a larger connection to the internet to poke holes through firewalls to get everything working or have to set up and maintain some sort of handshake server that does the signaling and sets up the WebRTC connection for you. As long as you've got speakers and a microphone,
0: this can do it. Yeah, that's the fun thing about it. I think smartphone, uh, you, you know, computer podcast playback. So I, that's the thing I think that's really fun. Um, so that's called Wave Share. We'll have a link in the show notes, and it, you could like you know do the three different speeds if you want. Uh, I think the easiest way to use it is how we're probably using it. The most straightforward is to transmit a small bit of information like a URL, and that URL then sends you to the larger bit of information. Um, because otherwise, it. I mean, you could you. Could you, like, do a base code of some kind of for the image, and could you actually transmit the image, Wes? Yeah, absolutely. You just have to be willing to, uh, you know, listen back to
2: the audio. Yeah. <laughs> there, is, there is an even faster speed that we haven't tried yet, so. Hmm. Oh,
0: really? Yeah. Like a
2: hyperspeed?
0: Ultrasonic, they call it. it. But is it actually ultrasonic? I, we'll have to find out. Man, computers, how do they work? How do they work?
1: I think magnets. ByteBit, and you have a vision of how this could be used, and I like it. Yeah, so... Not all phones have NFC and you have got um, uh, the royalty fees for having uh, NFC implemented in there uh, for headsets and uh, other Bluetooth kind of devices. So, well, headsets usually already have a microphone in them. So you have the app that sends a uh, pairing uh, code and that way it's just setting your headphone in pairing mode. It starts listening and your app sends that audio and you've got it paired. That's also something they use with Furby's, uh, for example, the newest, uh, newer generation back then had a chirp app uh, kind of thing. And I also remember something what was uh, developed on Android where you could send messages with a sort of chirp from Android phone to Android phone using this kind of technology.
0: Yeah. What a great way to, like, pair information or maybe even transmit, like, Wi-Fi passwords between two local devices if they're trusted. That isn't something that's audible that anybody could hear. Um should be taken away. It just should take off everywhere. Like, this seems like it'd be great on smartphones. A great way to pair, a, like, a Linux watch to a Linux phone. Yeah, they're already listening to everything you're doing anyways, right? <laughs> Why not make it useful? Look at you b- busting out the bacon there. Uh, I like it. I thought we should share it with you guys. because It's a super fun one, and it's an opportunity that we could, uh, you know, put it in the show. Yeah, so the uh, just to rehash, the
2: easiest way to go find the uh, secret little message, go check out the repo, build the command line tool, and... Uh, Play the podcast right back at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, and you get the secret. You get the secret bonus content that reveals reveals the real star of the show. I think indeed it does, putting us to shame. (laughs) All right, Wes. Well, uh, before we get to the pigs, let's do a little bit of feedback. I think we got enough time to get to a couple of them, and this one got my interest. I didn't get a chance to read this one before the show, Uh, but it's from Eric, and it's about his wonderful workstation, which. uh, That gets my interest. He says, in episode 380, you guys asked about your setup and workloads, or our setup and workloads. The company I work for develops a desktop software package for image analysis and quantification. It has some really awesome 3D rendering capabilities and support for deep learning image processing with TensorFlow. I have a pretty sweet workstation to develop and test our own software. I'm running an AMD Threadripper 2970WX with 24 cores and 128 gigabytes of RAM, one NVIDIA Quattro RTX 8000, and two RTX 2080 Supers with an MV Link bridge. Whoa. I just gotta like, I gotta like breathe that in for a second. Like, I gotta just sit with that for a moment. Wow. He goes on to say, I admit this workstation is super overkill for software development, but I recently managed to convince my managers that we need to sell a VDI, a virtual desktop infrastructure solution to our customers, rather than trying to get their IT department to set it up. (laughs) I've been developing a framework for easily deploying a local cloud system with VDI that meets our customers' needs. And I'm using Terraform, which Wes mentioned in the past episode, to reallocate resources from one VM to another without having to code the API calls to the hypervisor myself. Yeah, by the way, that's why one of the reasons I mentioned in our Linode read that it has um Terraform support because that kind of crap is amazing. Exactly. What do you call it, Wes? You call it that infrastructure by code? Is that what you call it? Yeah, right? Well, don't you want it as code? Everything code. That sounds fancy. He says, he goes on to say, I recently added the RTX 8000 to my setup and started playing with GPU pass-through. Oh, yeah. And also NVIDIA's virtual GPU capabilities. (laughs) (laughs) Which Terraform supports with VMware. Wow. It's really amazing nowadays how much one person can automate with great tools like Packer, Terraform, and Ansible, even if it's on corporate premises. Sadly... I'll soon have to ship out my three video cards to the head office so that our staff can use my local cloud solution and integrate that into their real workflows. I'll be left with my humble GTX 1060. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, I've been thinking a lot about my future laptop because I I, I I, think everybody that listened to the show for a while knows that I, through Linux Academy, then a Cloud Guru, I had a ThinkPad that I thought was really great. But, you know, when that wrapped up, that no longer... That, that was a company machine and no longer had access to it and had to send that back. And I've been thinking for a long time, like, what will I go to next? And I've been really watching the market and it has crossed my mind a few times that the one thing that is just inescapable when you're pricing a laptop and you're looking at specking a laptop is you could get so much more with that same money in a workstation. And that's a hard pill to swallow, you know, but when you need mobile, you need mobile. And there's there's just no getting around it, but yeah, that has been something I've been watching closely and thinking. I'll see what Apple does with the ARM machines. You see where we get right. with the uh, ThinkPad X ones that come with Fedora, and then System 76 just updated the Galago. So I've been sitting back and watching and hearing hearing Eric talk about his workstation and knowing in the back <sighs> of my mind what Ugh. I could yeah with the. <laughs> uh, do you want to read the next one? Yeah, sure. Okay, so next feedback.
2: Uh, Andrew writes into the show uh, asking about container host choices. Something near and dear to your heart there, Chris. He's looking to repurpose an HP Elite Desk G4 Mini. i7, 16 gigs of RAM, 500 gig NVMe. Nothing nothing to shrink at at all. As a container management host for home automation services. Hmm. And he writes that he'd like to use something that would allow him to avoid manually rebuilding in the future should anything go wrong. But, he doesn't have any experience with things like NixOS or Ansible. What would our recommended approach be?
0: Okay. Uh, I know you're probably going to recommend something that's more practical and would be a better skill that could use for employment opportunities and whatnot. So I'm going to go the other way. And I'm going to say, Andrew, you may be just kind of reading this email, kind of reading where you are at technically, just between the lines. There's a real easy solution depending on what you need. And it's it's called Home Assistant, my friend. You can get the entire Home Assistant stack, which includes a supervisor container, which can manage and install machines, but also, more importantly, snapshot, restore them, back them up, help you do easy installations of just about any popular open source automation or hosting service out there from From DNS to ad blocking to virtual machine managers, I mean, the whole nine yards can now be deployed when you're using the entire Home Assistant stack versus just like Home Assistant core, which would be the container version. But if you get like their whole purpose OS or there's other ways to go about getting it on a Linux box, you have a system that makes this really approachable. And it's using really modern tools under the hood. Now, it's not what you're going to want to use at any kind of scale. You're not going to want to use it in an enterprise deployment. You're not going to want to put this necessarily on a resume. But if you have a home machine and you're particularly looking at automation, this is one of the things people don't understand about Home Assistant is it has a lot of really well-managed one-click deployments of very popular open-source software, and it gives you an easy snapshot backup management update UI on top of it and then has an extensible community hack store you can add if you want. And it's just all one stack OS that you could actually just flash to a Raspberry Pi 4 image and run it all day long, which I do. And I am extremely sensitive to performance. And it's just all out there for the taking. And I don't think enough people appreciate or understand it because they're not listening to self-hosted. End of rant. Ah, maybe they should
2: head over to (laughs) self-hosted.show and check that out, where there's many fine episodes (laughs) that touch on basically all of this.
0: Yeah, you like how I turned it into a plug? But I'm sure you'd probably have something that might be a little more practical. Well, I mean, I think it depends. You know, he writes container host. If it's,
2: if it is just containers and pretty much everything in containers, I think you can get a good amount of mileage just from Docker Compose. You know, if you're, if you don't really customize anything on the system, it's just sort of a bog standard LTS install or the latest Fedora install Docker and go from there. That, that can work pretty well if you're okay with that level of involvement. Otherwise, you know, over on uh, Linux Action News, we recently talked about the new backup server that Proxmox has going, and I wonder if, you know, especially if maybe you've got some mixed workloads, some VMs with some
0: containers involved, that might be an interesting choice as well. That's a great point. Uh, Proxmox is a is maybe something you should seriously consider as at least the base of whatever home solution you're going to do for hosting, because... Even if you deploy the applications in a container, it's nice to have that host OS in a VM, because if this is successful, then it makes it easy to migrate it to a more powerful box in a couple of years. If you experience a failure, having everything virtualized makes it significantly easier to backup and then thus restore. And it abstracts out the hardware so that way you could move it about. In the future, you could even do things like take snapshots and then test an upgrade. If it doesn't work, roll back the entire OS. So I think what like I like I knew he would, I think Wes nailed it with the Proxmox recommendation. And with that new Proxmox backup server, that that is even more of a solid choice. And if you haven't if you're not familiar with it, well, write into the show and let us know if you'd like to hear about that. Because it's something Wes and I are debating, spending some time with, and then reporting back on the show. Uh, lastly, um, Corey wrote in, everybody went to linuxunplug.com slash contact, right? Corey wrote in and said, have you guys heard of Podify? All right, get ready. If you're going down the road, you may need to, uh, pull over and listen to this one because this is a game changer. Podify uses YouTube DL to create podcast RSS feeds, which then you subscribe to in your podcast catcher of choice or some other mechanism. How Awesome, we're out of a job. Yeah, Corey just I think just maybe came in with the best pick of 2020. <laughs> just how did we not find this, Wes? This is amazing. So it's again, it's called Spotify. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's up on GitHub, uh, and uh, it's it's awesome. I even like the UI. It's simple, straightforward. Yeah, self
2: hosted. You get a web UI. You paste in your YouTube link. And then it downloads it with YouTube DL in the background, adds it to a feed, and then you can go add that feed, you know, to uh, whatever you know, RSS player, podcast player of your choice, and then have access to the stuff right there. Way better than me downloading it manually and then using Telegram to send it to myself.
0: Yeah, I think I got to give this a go and then do a report back, but I might hold that report back for self-hosted because, you know, this is totally up that show's alley. This turned into a big plug fest, but um, that is so great, Corey. If you have a pick similar to that or, you know, something else you find really useful, do send it in to us. We love those submitted at uh, linuxunplugged.com slash contact because uh, that's great. Now, speaking of picks, this one feels sort of not as awesome now. <laughs> Corey stole your thunder. <laughs> so, yeah, I got to follow Corey. But I, I I stumbled across dev fonts this week. He was making the rounds on the internet, and I wanted to pass it along to our community. It is a way to go look at some really well-known popular fonts that are quote-unquote for developers, but they're really for anybody who likes very readable fonts in either their terminal, which is what what I really, really recommend you do, or in your text editor of choice, and there's a bunch of famous ones in there and probably some you've never seen before, and what's really nice about this website, beyond some of the filtering options and whatnot, is it gives you preview in a code editor, so you can see what the font looks like in the content you'll be using, and it's a really clever website, so I wanted to give it a plug. It's devfonts.gafl.dev, but I'll have a link in the show notes, so you don't have to try to remember that, but it's devfonts is the website. You can probably just Google it, too. I think that's an I? Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, you're right. Sorry. I got I got across the room. They should have used a better font. Yeah. Devfonts.gafi.dev. Yeah, that's got to be it. Uh, that's why the link would just be a better way to go. But it, don't you like how it previews it for you and you can kind of get a sense of it? Oh, yeah. You can choose different themes. You can also change the syntax highlighting.
2: So if you want to paste in some of your own work or code samples to see how it looks in, in Python or Ruby or Java, well, that's an easy little drop down. And they've got a a lot of nice options here. A Cascadia Code right at the top, which is Microsoft's new dev-focused font. Right below that is Fira Code, which is one I use myself because I'm a sucker for those fancy ligatures.
0: Yeah, I really like that one too. I find it makes my terminal much more readable. You know, when you need to distinguish important little bits there. And then once I get going in my terminal, I'm like, well, now I want it in my text editor too. Put it everywhere. It's pretty nice. So check that out. Link to that. Not nearly as cool as Spotify. But, you know, Potify, I'm going to knock at one point because that name. It sounds like a Docker management tool. This one, it it sounds like a Podman tool or something, right? Potify. So I'm knocking at a point. All right. All right. You still win. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm going for. (laughs) Thanks, Wes. I, I needed that win. You know what else I need is I need you to join us live. Yeah, so how about you do it? Because we'd love to have you join us live at jblive.tv. We put the times up at jupiterbroadcasting.com but nominally it happens Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. We also, the other live show we have right now is Coda Radio. But you never know, I'm thinking about doing more live stream stuff. So if you haven't followed us on Twitch, that's maybe the best way to know when we're going live. If you use Twitch, you can—I don't know—subscribe or follow or whatever. I don't think there's a bell, but you can get involved over there. It's—it's it's in some way with our channel, and then you get notifications when we go live. Old Man Chris tells the internet how to use Twitch, and then there's the YouTube, which is uh, truly the source of all evil on the internet. But you can also, if you you know, bell us up over there. I think you get the notification should the. Uh, algorithm so deem when we're live. And the reason why I mention that is because uh, I'm going to be experimenting um, coming up after the holidays predominantly, but even maybe before the end of the year, I'm going to experiment with a couple of different show ideas. And I thought I'll do it on the live stream and I'd like to get your feedback. So if you're not already following us on one of the places where you can watch us live, it might be worth it because uh, you never know what could be there. You never know. Also, just one more plug for Linux Action News. I'm really happy where that's at. I think, uh, you know, Wes has been able to, sh- to really add a lot of value to the show. And uh, while I still miss doing it with Joe, I'm just loving doing it with Wes. And if you're not subscribed to Linux Action News, you're missing a lot of what we cover. Uh, I think truly one of the best ways to stay informed in free software and the open source world is weekly there's just enough there every week that changes that it's good to keep track of that stuff and there's a lot of stories we're not putting in this show because this show is really focused more on community stuff and things that we can get a conversation really rolling about and looking at like Fedora in the future right but Linux Action News is like the things that really happened in the open source world that week that matter and uh, it's been really great having you on there Wes so if you guys out there haven't subscribed to that yet go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for that but
1: see you next week Same bad time, same bad station.
0: That does bring us to an end of this week's podcast. Thank you so much, everybody who decided to download and listen to the show. Big thank you to our core contributors. But even if you're not a core contributor, we still really appreciate you listening. We're thankful for your time. We're thankful anytime you have an opportunity to share the show, or if you take advantage of one of our sponsors. That's all things that really matter a lot to us, and been ending now I think for three months officially I think I'm crossing the three month threshold today and I'm um, reflecting on that and just extremely grateful for all of you out there thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the unplugged program and we will indeed see you right back here not Monday but next Tuesday Right, the duty has fallen upon us to title this here podcast, so those of you watching live, head over to jbtitles.com. Today's episode is a real aphonic experience, because we started with uh, peanut butter jelly time, and then in the middle of the show, we were transmitting you secret messages using modem sounds, and then coming up here in a little bit, I have something else uh, that I'm going to play for you, This is some special audio. Assuming I can get it to download, <clears> oh, <throat> there we go, got it. Just in time. All right, jbtitles.com, everybody go boat. Yeah, we don't know what the title should be. We can't know. Wes, I'm getting positive reports that Test Turkey 2 is doing very, very good. Ten pounds seems to be the perfect Oof. size for the smoker. I, yep. was, I was worried. I know, and that's why I wanted to keep you up to date, because I didn't want you you know, stressing about it. Now, will we have a live stream of you eating said turkey later on? <laughs> I don't think. Okay. I don't think no, anybody okay, I won't, I don't, won't. I don't think anybody. Nobody. Nobody wants that. Yes. <laughs> nobody wants that. Oh, nom, nom. nobody wants to have to watch me try to carve a turkey either. Let me tell you. Maybe a sensual gravy pouring a little bit. I don't know. <sighs> I feel so embarrassed when I'm trying to. To carve a turkey, because I feel like I, as a dad I should have that down, and let me tell you, I am just horrible at it, because you do it once every few years at best, and uh, at least I do, so I'm not very good at it. But I had a little quick thing I wanted to do. Wes and I uh, came across this bit of audio, and you guys know we're audio geeks. This is what the Perseverance Rover... Sounds like. Now, Wes, make sure I don't mess this up, but they they did like an internal diagnostic from the surface of Mars and captured some sound of the internal machinery, and that's what we have here, right? Yeah, so it's actually while it's
2: on route. This is one of the first times they've attached... Uh, microphones to a spacecraft like this, and the intent is to hear what it sounds like as they enter the Martian atmosphere and go in for a landing. But out in the void, quiet void of space, you can actually get a feeling for what it's like humming along, hearing its own machine, internal machinery, and nothing else in the void. Oh, I played.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that wasn't the right one. Dang it, Slack. Um... Damn it! You know what happens is it's it's in a uh, con, it's a confined it's a conf, it's a snap and then it's in the down it's not in the actual downloads folder but it's in uh, the downloads folder inside the snap folder. <laughs> that's what. So I gotta. That's why I played the wrong one. Ah! I have been trolled. I have been trolled. Self troll. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, you want you don't want Snap just, to, you know, I mean, you don't want just uh, Slack having uh, loosey goose access to your file system like an animal. Um, all right, here's the sound. Here we go. And I guess, I mean, it's not all that interesting, really, other than uh, you hear some machinery in there. But I one of the things I, I guess that's making the most noise is its internal heating elements. I didn't realize, of course this makes sense. This is the rover that's en route. And when it lands, does it mean we're going to get to hear what it sounds like on Mars? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I guess as, as long as all
2: the microphone equipment uh, survives, uh, makes it through. Yeah. Cause because uh, like they're, they're really aimed at experiencing what the landing is like, like the mortar that sets off the parachute that, you know, helps break its fall, all that kind of element. But in, in theory, if all of that survives, if, if it keeps working and you get it on the surface, yeah, we'll have audio from Mars. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, it is. Tell me, uh, tell me what you think. I've got, a, I got, a, I got an idea for a combo. Okay. So tell me what you think of this combo for, like, the secret message of the week. So be, this will be—this is how we do the secret message of the week. The cone of silence. <laughs> Can you overlap the sounds like that? Will that work? I bet so. We'll have to, we'll have to try it. Somebody let us know. I'm going to—I'll do, do it. I'll do it. Uh, you know, one more time, and then you let us know if this works. If you're, if you're listening live, let us know.
1: The cone of silence.